The 2023 offseason has left the station and is picking up speed as the NFL gathers in Indianapolis for the Combine. Joining us to discuss how the Seahawks fit into the grand equation is Dave Softy Mahler of Seattle sports leader KJR. Let's light him up. I'm Jackson Bevins, and this is Cigar Thoughts. Welcome back to the Cigar Lounge. I am Jackson Bevins, and along with my incognito producer, Mike Barwin, this is the Cigar Thoughts Podcast. Mike, how are we doing today? We're feeling anonymous, Jackson. How are you? <laughs> I'm good, man. I'm good. You know, it's it's feels like I finally put the last season to bed, feel good about it, both as a Seahawks fan and as a football fan. Uh, I thought we got a very satisfying conclusion to the season and caught my breath. And <laughs> now I'm ready, baby. And uh, here we are. It's it's go time already in the offseason. That's right. We're moving into the new league calendar year, feeling great about the Seahawks draft capital, about the, the holes that they have to fill and the ammunition that they have to fill them. And uh, yeah, ready for the pure chaos that is inevitably in store for us ahead. Yeah, I mean, it's just a reminder that the NFL never sleeps and we're already at the first gala of this offseason schedule. You know, the the Combine's our first chance as fans to kind of start dreaming of the future. It's almost like seeing those first toy commercials of the holiday season when you're a kid. Obviously not shortchanging who these players are as human beings, but you start to put together a little wish list for your favorite team. And when your team has as much free agency and draft cloud as the Seahawks do this year, Honestly, I'm finding myself diving into mock drafts, free agent predictions a lot more than normal. Fortunately, our guest today is an absolute staple in the Seattle sports community and one of the more in-tune people covering the sports scene. <laughs> he is the inimitable Dave Mahler, known affectionately by most as Softy. Softy, thank you so much for making the time to come in. Yeah, I appreciate the intro. I'm not sure you got the right guy, though, to be honest with you, fellas. I mean, we're talking about a, a staple of the sports community, uh, a uh, in-tune uh, uh, guy who's got uh, some intel in the community. Uh, I know what happened here. I totally get it because I'm on the same road that you guys are on sometimes. You go through your list of guests, and at some point, you got no choice but to get to rock bottom. So I appreciate you letting me jump on the show today, fellas. Yeah, well, we're just kind of cleaning out the dregs right now. Fine. So hey, we're, you know we're scraping no you off the bottom of the barrel. No problem. You you can pretend to be a Seattle sports community staple for an hour, can't you? Jackson, for the right price, I can pretend to be whatever you want, baby. You just, you, you just let me know what you need, my man, and I'll be there for you. Man. I know. I've, I've seen your OnlyFans. Hey, here you go. Yeah. Hey, you know what? If it, if it makes money, so what? If somebody's willing to pay for that to see me in that kind of situation, I'm, 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 not, I'm, not, I'm not beneath that. Totally with you. It's like a Bud Light ad. It's only weird That's if it right. doesn't work. That's right. That's, yeah. Totally. Well, listen, man, I'm really excited to have you on, and I do want to get your thoughts on the Seahawks offseason, but before we do, yeah. we got to talk about that athletic article from Mike Sando, Jason Oof. Jenks, and Kalen Culler that yeah. dropped on Friday. For those not familiar, the piece reported a lot of stuff we kind of already knew or assumed about Russell Wilson's so far unsuccessful transition from Seattle to Denver, but the article contained a bombshell report that Wilson went above Pete Carroll and John Schneider straight to ownership in an attempt to get them fired. Now, that assertion was credited to an anonymous source, which mm -hmm. had some folks eager to write it off, but you had the extremely connected Hugh Millen on your show recently, and he said, based on conversation he's had with people he trusts, that he thinks Russ went straight to Jody Allen. Yeah. What are your thoughts on the yeah. article, and specifically on that explosive tidbit? Yeah, no, first of all, um, I don't think there's any doubt that Russell went to Jody Allen, um, and honestly, I don't know who else he would go to, right? Um, mm -hmm. He's not going to Burt Cold. He's not going to Chuck Arnold for something like that. He's going to Jody Allen, and I don't think there's any doubt that it happened. I am in total agreement with Hugh uh, on that, what he said, Jackson, on the show last week. That I mean, first of all, just, just backtrack for a second, and I know there's a lot of skepticism about the media these days, right? Yep. And it kind of bugs me when people lump the media all in together uh, in <laughs> sure. one big pot. You know, I, uh, I, I learned this from Graz, Dave Grosby, about 20 years ago, and his whole perspective is there's no media, right? There's only members of the media. It's podcasts like yours. It's shows like mine. It's newspapers, TV stations, radio. 
it's not like all of us are getting together at eight o'clock every morning and saying, hey, what's our take going to be today, right? <laughs> what's our approach going to be today? Who, who are we going to screw today uh, through the media? So when you're, when you're complaining about the press, when you're complaining about the media, uh, don't be lazy. Tell me who. Tell me who specifically you're bitching about in the press. <laughs> what writer? What talk show host? What podcaster? Who the hell are you talking about that's got you so worked up? Because you guys know as well as me, more often than not, fans of certain players, and I get it, you know, they, they hear things about their favorite player that doesn't make them look great, that doesn't paint them in the best light, and they get pissed off and they get angry. Yeah. Well, that can't be true because that makes my guy look stupid. Well, first of all, I, I, I would just say this. There's a reason why Russell Wilson's not here anymore. Mm -hmm. How many times do you see quarterbacks like that get traded, right? Hardly ever in the history of the National Football League. So think about how big of a disaster things have to be before a team moves on from a guy like Russell Wilson, number one. Uh, and then number two, and Hugh pointed this out to Jackson and Mike on the show last week, that Jody Allen and John Schneider and Pete Carroll have a history of correcting falsehoods when they see it to be appropriate. For example... When Russell Wilson got traded, his perspective on the trade was it was a mutual parting of the ways, right? Jody, John, and Paul came out and said, no, 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 no. Don't you do that to us. Don't you put that on us, all right? Don't you put that on me, Ricky Bobby. That wasn't true. You wanted out of here, and we placated you. And that's the last time I believe we heard from Jody Allen uh, was when she made that statement. So they have a history of correcting the record when they see something that they deem to be incorrect. The combine yesterday, Pete Carroll and John Schneider had every opportunity to correct the record, say, no, we never heard that. We never heard that Russell wanted us fired. That's not true as far as we know. They didn't do that yesterday at mm -hmm. all. They did what they continue to do, which is just take the high road and just stand there and literally not say much of anything while Russell Wilson's getting beat to death Right? I mean, it's unbelievable. Like, for example, Jackson, you have a podcast, you have a night where Mike's pissing you off, he's frustrating the hell out of you, which Every you told night. me off the air Every happens all the night. time, by the way. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the next guy that comes in is all of a sudden going to be your buddy because he's not Mike and he's not frustrating <laughs> you and he's not annoying the hell out of you. So all Pete Carroll and John Schneider. How the have hell to did do, you get this intel? Right, Damn. All they have to do is literally just stand there and just go, uh huh, uh huh, uh huh, watching Russell just get crushed by everybody. Yeah. I mean, I guys, I have I have never seen an athlete whose reputation nationally went from the top to the bottom as fast as Russell Wilson's reputation did. I mean, God, guys. The guy was a goober, right? No doubt about it. Um, sure. Kind of we've, an Urkel. We've said that many times with yeah. that exact phrase. He's, he's kind of an Urkel, you know? And uh, the movie analogy that I've used over and over again, and I'm honestly, I swear to God, trying to think of something better, and I can't think of one. He's like Kip Dynamite after he met LaFonda, right? He's just, just this <laughs> goober. He's on the internet. He's looking for time machines, whatever. And then he meets LaFonda, and he just turns into a totally different dude. And oh that's what God. Russell Wilson, to me, is like. You guys remember when he got divorced from Ashton, and he talked about publicly how he wasn't going to have sex until he got married again, right? He shared that with everybody. He thought that was important to share with everybody. Okay, whatever. And then he goes on his honeymoon with Sierra, gets off the plane, dancing through the airport, talking about how he got laid last night. Yeah. I'm like, who does that? Yeah. Are you kidding me? Who does stuff like that? So he he really kind of had this metamorphosis into some kind of weirdo after he met Sierra. Maybe it was the spotlight, guys. Maybe it was the ego. Maybe it was Sierra. I have no idea. Maybe it was the money. I got no clue what it was. But he certainly comes across as a different guy now than he did when he first showed up here, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. You know, you touched on a couple of things that I want to circle back to. And yeah. the first is what you were saying about the media. You know, I, I, on Twitter, of course, had some commentary with the article and got all of, you know, the full spectrum of responses that you might imagine. And a lot of them just immediately were writing it off as, oh, this is just the media trying to take him down, you know, bitter Seattle uh, reporters, all this stuff. But when you talk about the three that wrote this article, oh, I mean, yeah. you were calling into question some of the most venerated, credentialed NFL reporters on the scene. I mean, we had we had Mike Sando on a few weeks ago and and just talking about his career and and being a part of the the Hall of Fame selection committee and mm -hmm. what that takes. I mean, these are not people who are just trying to get clicks. They they are operating on a different plane. Uh, in terms of their job and their professionalism. And so when when you throw out the accusations that it's just this petty axe to grind that's going on, 
it's it's selling the people who are actually putting their names to this report very right. short. Yeah, no, I, I I totally agree with that. And again, I mean, I I, I just think you got to look at somebody's history, right? Look at Jason Jenks' history. Look at Mike Sando's history. Look at Michael Sean Dugar's history, for example. Uh, Bob Condota, Greg Bell, right? All those guys that cover the Seahawks. These are good reporters uh, that aren't... I mean, look, they know the consequences of throwing out something like yes. that, that Russell Wilson wanted to get Pete Carroll and John Sh uh, Schneider fired. That's not just insignificant. That's not a little thing that you're tossing out there. I mean, that's like a reputation killer for some people. Matt Calkins, you guys may have noticed that on that day, wrote a piece for the Times where he said, said his reputation now in Seattle is beyond repair because of that exact story. And some people may have thought that anyway before that mm -hmm. story even came out that his reputation was in the gutter in Seattle. So that's not insignificant. That's not a little thing when somebody throws that out there. I know that those guys reached out to Mark Rogers and Russell Wilson's camp, and they got no response except for a lawyer who wrote back and said, this is BS, this is nonsense, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. By the way, can I say bullshit on this podcast? Yeah. That, okay, all right, just just double check. And I, I know it's a family show, kids are watching, I want to make sure I'm not doing the wrong thing. We're, we're but, trying to expose them to the the world early there you go well his lawyer wrote back and said yeah that's fucking bullshit okay and and that's all <laughs> they got from from the russell wilson camp so i'm i'm bringing that up guys because i appreciate somebody writing a story and trying to get all sides of it even if it conflicts with the potential heart of what the story is all about Mike Sando and Jason Jenks have a source, and likely more than one source, by the way. That's not the way this works. Nobody goes to one person and says, mm -hmm. oh, that's it, print it. You're getting multiple sources, sometimes two and three sources on these stories, and then you go to uh, Mark Rogers, then you go to Russell Wilson, then you go to his camp, and they say, ah, that's nonsense, whatever, and you print that. You print all the information, everything you get, everything you acquire, every piece of intel, and you put it in the article, and you let the reader or listener make up their mind on what they believe. So I, I just think it's par for the course with him. Uh, it jives with everything that we've been hearing about and talking about and reading about and watching about in the last year and a half. So yeah, I totally believe it. Uh, does it ruin his reputation for me? Look, here's what I think. I, I think we live in a world of black and white sometimes and we have to start living in a world of gray. Mm -hmm. Russell Wilson's the greatest quarterback in the history of the Seahawks franchise. That's one truth. The other truth is he got too big for his britches Developed a gigantic ego, tried to get Pete Carroll and John Schneider fired, and he got moved out of town. Both those things are true. So you decide, in the end, what you want to think of Russell Wilson. And and can we just talk about where you got to get to in terms of how you view yourself within an organization, within the league, to take aim at the king like that? Right. I mean, right. we're, this, is, this is not a small thing that he thought he could go above the boss's to the owner. I mean, this is this is uh, Fortune 500 company's top salesman going mm -hmm. to the owner to try and get the CEO and CFO fired. Right. You know, right. Because you know what it reminds me of, by the way, I'll drop another movie analogy. Yeah. And you guys may know that I'm full of movie analogies. Most of them people have never seen because I'm 50 years old and I'm sure I'm going to just quote a bunch of movies that you guys have no idea what they're uh, talking You don't look about. a day over 49, man. Yeah, exactly. I'll be 50 in August. Thank you, pal. <laughs> uh, it reminds me Rocky five when Tommy Morrison <laughs> got taken in by Rocky Balboa <laughs> yep. as this no nothing nobody from nowhere and Rocky turned him into a contender and then he meets George Washington Duke thinks his shit don't stink and he tries to fight Rocky and he gets his ass kicked in the parking yes. lot right yes. I mean that that's exactly what happened so it saddens me, honestly, guys, that it's happened like this because nobody wants this, right? I mean, you want your stars to be beloved. Everybody wants their stars to come back and get the royal carpet treatment, right? You know, go up there in the ring of honor, get their number attired, shake hands, kiss babies, be a part of Legends Day. I mean, guys, think about this. The 10-year the anniversary of that Seahawk champion team is this year this fall is the 10-year, I mean, it's amazing how fast yeah. time has gone. So if you're going to have some kind of a reunion on the field, which I'm certain they will at some point in time this year, if the Broncos had a bye, you may have invited Russell Wilson back for something like that. Who knows? Could you imagine? Who knows? And, and here's, here's the thing, because I'm, I'm glad we're talking about his increasingly complicated legacy here in Seattle, because right. there, there has been over the last year, as he struggled and the Seahawks thrived in the aftermath of the breakup, there's a lot of revisionist history about Russell's time in Seattle, that all of a sudden he wasn't actually that good. And let's be clear. Did he 
benefit greatly from Marshawn Lynch and the Legion of Boom defense during the two Super Bowl runs? Absolutely. Did he almost single-handedly take this team to 10, 11, and 12 win seasons after those guys were gone? Yeah, he did. He was a top five quarterback in the NFL for a good chunk of time. He was on a Hall of Fame track. We cannot forget that part of Russell Wilson, but I can't think of a single other Seattle athlete and maybe there's uh, fans in other cities who can say, oh, yeah, this reminds me of so-and-so, um, depending on what Aaron Rodgers' exit from Green Bay looks like. Who knows? Mm-hmm. Maybe something like that. But, mm-hmm. you know, really before this, it was it was A-Rod and Griffey, yeah. Yeah. you know, and, and now yeah. that kind of seems like it pales in comparison because that stuff was was just kind of about money and market stuff. This is something so much more personal. Yeah, there's a lot of different examples, but it's different in the social media era, right? And it's different because it's also today. Like, let's do this podcast in 10, 15, 20 years from now. And let's talk about, you know, what our thoughts are then on Russell Wilson. Things are going to change, right? And, uh, I mean, the way you put it there, you know, that's what I'm talking about in this world of gray that we should live in. You got two boxes. A lot of it is a hell of a lot of good, right? Like, people like to talk about, for example, how – the visits to Children's Hospital weren't sincere by Russell Wilson, that he wanted to get his picture taken, all that stuff. Okay, fine. That may be true, but there was also a gigantic benefit for the kids in the hospital at the same oh damn gosh. time. It's And I, I, I'm not going to compare it to Lance Armstrong, but I've had this conversation with many, many people before about Lance Armstrong. Lance Armstrong turned out to be a fraud, right, when it came to cancer, uh, everything he was claiming to be all about, everything he claimed that was happening to him. But God damn it, how many people's lives were saved because Thank of you. that lie? How, how much money yes. did Lance Armstrong raise for cancer research? And how many people are living today because Lance Armstrong threw that out there and raised all that dough? So there's negatives and positives to everything. And I just think for me personally, and, you know, this this could change. It could change, you know, for the good and change for the bad in the next 15, 20 years. I think the legacy of Russell Wilson, I think the good far outweighs the bad, right? I'm like if you. you if you were to come to me, 15 years ago, and said, okay, you can have a Pro Bowl-level quarterback for 10 years. You can have probably a Hall of Fame-level quarterback, to be honest with you, for 10 years. But here's the price you're going to have to pay. You're going to go to two Super Bowls. You're going to win one of them. You're going to make the playoffs, what, eight of those 10 years or whatever it is. But the price you're going to have to pay is at the end, he's going to freak out. He's going to get a little weird. He's going to get a little bit too big for his britches. He's going to spaz out and try to get the coach and the GM fired. And he's going to get traded. I would say, where do I sign? Are you kidding me? Where (laughs) do I sign? It's the same story with Ken Griffey Jr., Jackson. Ken Griffey Jr. is going to come here. He's going to hit 400 home runs. He's going to be the best player in baseball. He's going to win the MVP. And at the end, he's going to have a moment of clarity that his family is more important in Cincinnati. And he's going to want to go back home. And I would say, where do I freaking sign? Same damn freaking thing with all those guys. I just think the good has far outweighed the bad with him. But, you know, look, in the end, time heals all wounds. There's no question about that. And I think that fans, in some ways, should be glad that they moved on because, number one, they're not paying him $45 million a year. Mm -hmm. Number two, they got a hell of a deal from the Denver Broncos. And number three, they might end up finding their replacement for him at number five in this draft, which they got because he mouthed off and they traded him to Denver. So in the end, this transition that Russell Wilson inadvertently provided for the Seahawks may turn out to be the best thing for guys like you and me. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the parting gift was incredible. Yeah, no question. <laughs> you know, uh, he 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 certainly helped this team on the way in, and and he helped them on the way out. You know, uh, just one <laughs> last thing on on Russell Wilson before we move on. You yeah. know, I do have a friend whose uh, kid was sick and was visited by Russ in the hospital, and. I mean, the the excitement, strength, determination that came from that and from Wilson sitting down and talking with him for 10 minutes right. and telling him, you can do this and I got your back and all of that stuff. I don't care if it was for a photo op. The impact it had on that family was incredible uh, when it came to this child's recovery. So, you know, it's, it's something that I, whatever his motivation was, I think Russell Wilson's time in Seattle is an absolute massive net positive. For sure. You know. It's funny because on the same day that Russell Wilson was drafted, uh, Seattle also picked another legend and almost a decade to the day later, the two of them were let go on the same day. I am of course referring to Bobby Wagner, who was a surprise cut from the Rams recently. Now, like many Seahawks fans, I immediately considered the romantic possibility of Bobby rejoining the team. So my question to you is a two-parter. 
Is he a realistic option for the Seahawks? And do you think bringing him back would be a good idea? Yeah. Well, I think uh, he's a realistic option for the Seahawks. Is Are the Seahawks a realistic option for Bobby Wagner? I, I think that's mm-hmm. the better question, right? Um, I don't think there's any doubt the Seahawks want him back. Uh, Pete Carroll has shown that he is more than willing to bring players back. We've seen that over and over again. I mean, look at Bruce Irvin, for God's sakes, right? Look at Deshaun Shedd, right? There's a lot of players like that that have come back to Seattle once they've taken off, whether our coaches are... Right, Marshawn Lynch, whether coaches, players, whatever. So a lot of guys have come back. But um, to me, the question is, does Bobby want to be in Seattle, right? Does he want to be here? Does he feel like he should be among the highest paid linebackers in the NFL? Does he feel like he fits in better with a championship contending football team, which I don't think right now the Seahawks are, by the way. I think they're getting closer, but they're not there yet. Um, What does Kansas City need, right? What does Cincinnati need at linebacker? Um, what do other teams like that need at linebacker? Uh, the, the, the Niners, for example, going to play for a team like that would be unbelievable for Bobby Wagner. Make me want to vomit, but it'd be great for him. So I don't have any doubt, Jackson, the Seahawks want him back because linebacker to me is the poorest spot on the football team right now. And it's yeah. not even close. Oh, right? I, I, I mean, I completely agree. You Jordan know, Brooks, I thought, took a step back a year ago, maybe because of the fact that Bobby wasn't there. Maybe because of the fact he's a better outside linebacker than he is an inside linebacker. Maybe because he had nothing around him, for God's sakes. I mean, look, no disrespect to Cody Barton, but come on, man. I mean, Pete Carroll's literally telling Jordan Brooks, we want you to thrive with Cody Barton as your wingman. Yeah. And that just didn't happen. And then Cody that Barton goes KJ down. Right. right. Cody Barton goes down. All of a sudden, it's Tanner freaking Muse out there. So they, they've kind of ignored that position, which is a little bit shocking considering how defensive-minded Pete Carroll has been that they have not really applied a lot of resources to linebacker in the last couple of years. So no question the Seahawks want him back. There's an absolute need, an absolute fit. You know, pro football focus, I don't know about you guys, but um, I like PFF. They're not the gospel, but I think they give you a pretty general guide of how a guy has been performing. And when you read about Bobby Wagner being the number one rated linebacker in football, he may not be that good, Jackson, but he's not a turd either. This guy no. can play. All right. Well, we so, saw yes, him. I look, him look at look at the two games he had against Seattle. Absolutely, he dominated. Right. He was a game wrecker well, in those think, two games. I think part of that was because of the fact he was facing the Seahawks. No, nope, like no in question. Fast times at Ridgemont High. I think somebody convinced Absolutely. Bobby Wagner before the game that Pete Carroll just kicked his dog before the game started because he went out there with his freaking hair on fire in that game. But. But it shows is, what he can still do. Exactly, He's got that in him. He's got that potential in him. He's healthy. He's playing at a high level. Yes, bring him back. What you got to do on your next podcast is kick bums like me off the show and get Bobby on and ask him directly, does he want to come back? That's the question. <laughs> We're working on it. We got uh, we, we got a flyer out to his people. There you go. You know, it, it, it kind of reminds me, this is like uh, the Lakers heat era of Gary Payton's career, right? right? Seattle legend, the came close. You know, Bobby did get his title here, but at the end, at the end of the line, he had earned the right to go chase a title somewhere. Mm. And unfortunately, he got one with Miami. And fortunately, he didn't get one with the Lakers. And, you know, I, I think Bobby's earned the right to just cherry pick the next fit and, yeah. and make sure he gets paid what he needs to get paid and, and have a chance to win a Super Bowl. Absolutely. I mean, I think, you know, look, th- and this is not a slight on Bobby Wagner. People bring things up like this and they almost consider it to be an insult, but Bobby Wagner should do what almost every player does at this stage of his career, and that's go out and get the biggest contract he can find because his earning, his earning power, for the most part, is about to take a major dive, right, when his career is He's got is one over. more big contract ahead of him. Exactly. He's got, and he might even have one more year. I mean, who knows, right? If he gets banged up, you never know if he's old enough to recover from an injury like that. So I think he should go out and, and make as much money as possible. And luckily, the Hawks have some cap room to spend. I'm not sure if they'll spend it on Bobby Wagner, but the great news is they can address their offensive line in the draft. They can address their defensive line in the draft. And then they go out and they spend money on guys like Bobby Wagner, who they know they can trust to perform every single week. So to me, it just makes too much sense. And this isn't about just bringing Bobby Wagner back because his name is Bobby Wagner. right? No, is, no, no, this no. Is, this is about bringing back a really good player to fill a massive gaping hole in your defense. And you know what, Jackson? I got to be honest with you. If it's somebody else, fine. Whatever. Yeah. If yeah. it's another guy in free agency, that's fine. But that hole has got to be addressed. Well, no question. And and the thing with Bobby coming back is this isn't a victory lap 
deal. You know, this no, isn't a, a this ceremonious isn't signing right. type of deal. This is this is something where I honestly don't think talent was the issue on defense, but you saw communication and assignment integrity issues all over the place. And and you know, you look at games like uh the Lions, the Saints, the Raiders, the Panthers, most of the plays in that game were good. And then they'd have a lapse that would lead to a 50-yard touchdown, a 70-yard touchdown, an 80-yard touchdown. That shit didn't happen with Bobby there. And so what what you would be getting is this kind of nucleus who knows how to have all of his tentacles out to all the other players and kind of lead them uh, where they need to be and and hold them accountable, honestly. So I think that would be the benefit there. So that's going to be really interesting to see. It is an underrated need uh, for this team for sure. And to your point, they, they've got a lot of different avenues that they can address it. But, uh, you know, I want to stick with the Seahawks offseason, switch gears a little bit. We are about two weeks away from the league's 2023 calendar officially starting. But the combine, it's it's sort of the pre-party. In fact, one of the most underrated aspects of the combine is the fact that it's the only time you have all 32 front offices in one place at one time each year. Yes, they're all there to scout the draft prospects. There are a lot of discussions happening between the teams. They're going to shape the future of the league. And I would say the groundwork for Russell Wilson's trade was laid at the Combine last year. Mm-hmm. I, I, I mean, it's safe to say this is a pretty dynamic week from a roster construction standpoint, no? No, it's huge. And even bigger now than it's been since Pete and John showed up here in 2010. I mean, you remember the, the blowtorch that they used to that roster when they first showed <laughs> up here? They had about 1,000 mm-hmm. transactions every single day, it felt like. Um, yeah, they set think, an NFL record in yeah. each of their first two years for roster moves. So this is this is as significant an offseason, I think, as the Seahawks have had since then. Um, from the entire roster perspective, obviously last year the trading of Russell Wilson would be titanic, right? Uh, you know, compared to the maybe previous years they've had. But I just think that for them, I don't know if there's a group of a GM or a head coach in the NFL. Like, for example, uh, the news came out yesterday that Pete Carroll says, hey, we are on every quarterback in this draft. We're doing our due diligence. We're turning over every rock, blah, blah, blah. And some folks would say, well, that's just because they want that number five pick to be as valuable as possible and get other teams to think that they're going to draft a quarterback. I don't think that's it at all. I think they would do this regardless because their history shows that they have done it. When they had no shot at Mahomes, they went to the Pro Day. No shot at Josh Allen, went to the Pro Day. Uh, Andy Dalton, Paxton Lynch, for God's sakes. I remember when they brought in Paxton Lynch, when they brought him to Seattle as a backup, they were literally going into their database and referencing notes that they took from watching him perform at his Pro Day when he was in college. When they were never going to draft the guy. So I don't know if it's just because John Schneider likes to be on the road 350 days a year. Maybe he loves to travel. I have no idea. Maybe they have a deeper staff than most people do in the NFL. But these guys have a history of doing this, and they are going to have intel on every single player in this draft, unlike any team in the National Football League. That much I can guarantee you. And I think that there's absolutely a reason to take a quarterback. I mean, don't just talk about it because of the number five pick and wanting to blow smoke and uh, you know convince teams that you're going to try and take a quarterback. What, 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 what have we seen from Geno Smith that leads any of us to believe that the Seahawks should be in a position to say no before the party even starts to every quarterback in this draft? I mean, to me, the answer is nothing. He had a good year. He had a good yeah. year by his standards. He had a really good year. But okay, you know so what, though? If Russell Wilson had that year that Geno had, we would have thought of it as a disappointment. If he had played in the second Man, half of the year. you think so? You I do. think so? If Russell Wilson had played in the second half of the year the way Geno Smith played in the second half of the year, we would have been barbecuing the guy. Barbecuing yeah. the guy. Okay? Maybe. No no question that that uh, the difference in expectations between Russell Wilson and Geno Smith play into that. I, I would take a different take on that, though. I, I think by almost every measure, the thing to keep in mind is quarterback play was down across the league no this question. year. Scoring was down. Yep. Efficiency was down. And within the context simply of last year, Gino was by literally just about every measure you can find a top six to eight quarterback. So, you know, I mean, he led the NFL in completion percentage and he didn't do it the Jimmy Garoppolo way. He did it by taking shots downfield. He set a franchise record for passing yards. He he was good when he needed to be good. And no, I, I don't think that all of a sudden he's 
Aaron Rodgers or Joe Burrow or anything like that. And so it it does beg the question, what do you think is a realistic expectation yeah. for yeah. Smith moving forward? Well, let me just go back to that for a second because, uh, again, that's why I say by, by his standards and when you compare it to the rest of the NFL, and you're exactly right, Jackson, it was a poor year for quarterbacks in the NFL. I mean, when Tom Brady is coming out saying – man, there's a lot of shit football getting played out there in the NFL. And there yep. was a lot of bad football being played in the NFL, right? So, I mean, Tyler Huntley, for God's sakes, made the Pro Bowl, guys. Come on, <laughs> okay. for crying out loud, okay? Because there just wasn't that depth at quarterback this yep. year. And that's in the AFC, or maybe the best quarterbacks in the league are in the AFC. So yep. I agree with you that when you compare it to his peers, Gino had a good year, maybe even an above average year. Hell, there was one point in time where I'm maybe because of, I'm being sarcastic, but I'm talking about him being the damn MVP. And then things fell apart. So we have, we have two chunks of data. We have the first half of the year and we have the second half of the year. What's more likely over the next maybe two, three seasons that we're going to see the first half Geno or the second half Geno or maybe a hybrid of the two? And I would just argue that even a hybrid of the two isn't good enough to say no automatically to not even scout or look at C.J. Stroud, Bryce Young, Will Levis, Anthony Richardson, blah, blah, blah. What I think the Hawks are going to try and do is trade down and still get their quarterback in the first round. I think that's what they'll try and do. I think they'll try and get someone to fall in love with that number five pick like the Niners fell in love with the Dolphins' number three pick a couple years ago. Go back and look at what Miami got, Jackson, when they traded down. They got two extra first-rounders and a third. Two of them. Okay? Which is good because they had to give those up with all their tampering. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's, it's, it's nice amazing, though. Them. So if you're telling me that we can get a deal like that and drop, let's say, down 10, 11, 12 spots, whatever it is, and add an extra first and an extra third in next year's draft, I'm in because I like C.J. Stroud. I think he's a hell of a quarterback. But I also don't think that outside of C.J. Stroud, there's an obvious number two quarterback in this draft. And I don't know if there's a huge gap between C.J. Stroud and the rest of the quarterbacks in this draft. I mean, everybody's in love with Bryce Young, and I totally get that. Anthony Richardson is the flavor of the day right now in the NFL. People are falling in love with that guy's skill set, and that's fine. I get it. But now there's reports that Bryce Young's real height is like 5'10 and a quarter, okay? I don't think the Hawks are going down that road again, by the way. I really don't, guys. I think they're going to get back to your prototypical Minimum is five pocket passer. Is five yeah, they'll get back to a prototypical guy. I think they're kind of done with the undersized quarterbacks in the NFL because there's only a couple of them that have ever panned out. I mean, God, guys, look at look at Fran Tarkenton. Look at Russell Wilson. Look at Drew Brees. Kyler Murray was the number one pick in the draft because of Russell Wilson, and he's failing yes. dramatically right now. So history says that that typically is not going to work, and the Hawks don't ignore history just like they don't ignore the salary cap. John Schneider was on with Ian Furness a couple weeks ago. He was asked about a drop-dead contract for Geno. He said, yeah, absolutely, of course. There's a number that's just too problematic and just too much for us. So I think they have that same approach with height, with all their combine numbers, uh, arm length for DBs, which we've talked about for years, obviously, here in Seattle, and they stick by that stuff. But I think you're going to see the Seahawks try and trade down because I do believe that they feel like the quarterback that they want, they can get later in that first round, even on day two. So, okay, so two two things I want to touch on there. Yeah, One, I don't think that signing Geno Smith – to an extension precludes you from drafting totally. a quarterback. You 100%. can do both. Yes. And and we've forgotten because of Joe Burrow and Josh Allen and Justin Herbert recently, the, the expectation is, is that if they're not the guy in year one, that you need to start trying to move on or or find someone else. And, you know, historically, a lot of the great quarterbacks sat for a while. I mean, some of them, Steve Young sat for eight years. Aaron Rodgers sat for four years. You know, having that next guy yep. waiting in the wings is not the worst thing in the world. Now, there is uh, a, a cost that, you know, an opportunity cost that needs to be weighed in. That is, if you do take a quarterback at five or trade down and take him somewhere in the middle of the first, okay, there's there are players that you're passing up. Uh, yep. at five or or wherever uh, in, in order to get that second quarterback. But like Schneider said, they don't grow on trees. And it'll probably, unless Seattle does trade back and get an extra first next year, uh, maybe with like Carolina and they stink again, or the Raiders and they stink again, maybe you have a shot at a top quarterback again next yep. year. But most yep. likely, this is going to be the highest they pick for a while. Because well, hopefully, I, yeah. Yeah, I mean, hopefully, right? Things, things can change. But uh, I think a lot would have to go wrong 
in order for them to be picking in the top five again in the near future. So if you do mm-hmm. have a shot to get that guy, mm-hmm. you have to consider it. My question to you, the second part of this is, okay, you're saying trade back middle of the first, later in the first, and get a quarterback. Do you think realistically that there is a quarterback worth using a first-round pick on that's going to be there after the top 12, 13 picks? Depends on how much they're in love with Anthony Richardson. That, to Gosh, me, is I, a big X factor here. It's a I big think he's going to blow this combine away. I yeah, think some team's taking him in the top 10. He will for sure. And I, I don't need, like I said, Jackson, I don't need a quarterback in the first round. I think a lot of people are in love with a quarterback in the first round. You have to get one. You have to get one. You have to get one. Well, why? I mean, Russell Wilson was a third-round draft pick. Hasselbeck was, what, a sixth-round draft pick, whatever he was back in the day. So do your scouting. Find somebody yeah. on day two. Find somebody on day three. I have no problem Dak with Prescott, that. Dak Prescott was a day three pick. Absolutely. I, I have no problem with that. So, to me, the way I approach the draft, and, and by the way, totally agree with your point about paying Gino and drafting somebody, whether it's with a day two pick or a day one pick, um, because whatever you pay Gino, it's not going to break the bank. Your quarterback room is still going to be fairly manageable financially. And let's not forget, they're, they're in luck where they're not paying their tackles anything for three I more know. years. They're not paying their cornerback, Tariq, anything for three more years. So now is the time to maybe where you can absorb some financial hits at some other spots like quarterback. But either way, he's not going to be one of the top paid, uh, top paid guys in the NFL. And, you know, $28 million, $30 million, guys, that's pretty much middle of the road right now in the National oh, yeah. Football League. League for quarterbacks. I think people kind of forget that. So that's number one. But number two, my my philosophy on the draft is easy. I don't give a damn who you take, to be honest with you. Because I'm not going to sit here and act like I know these players better than John Schneider and Pete Well, why Carroll are we were. having you on the show okay, then? Exactly. Well, you know, because I'm a bullshit artist and you want me to bullshit my way <laughs> through this thing. This thing You're should doing be great, renamed by the, way. the Bullshit Podcast, not the Cigar <laughs> Thoughts Podcast. Anyway, it's an idea, and I'll give you an example. In 2006 or seven, I think it was 2006. This may be way before your time, by the way. They drafted Oh, yeah, Lawrence. yeah, no, I'm only 12. Okay, exactly. Well, you look it. They, 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 they drafted Lawrence Jackson out of, out of USC at defensive end, and a lot of people were like, what are you doing? You got Bryce Fisher. You got Grant Wistrom. Why would you bring in another? Oh, because we need more than two guys. That's why. Because we need some depth. And that didn't work out, obviously. Lawrence Jackson did not pan out as the player we thought he was going to be. But the idea made sense. So Process interior, Right. Interior offensive linemen, defensive tackles, linebackers, I would say almost maybe another corner, maybe a wide receiver number three as well would be a factor on this football team, mm-hmm. quarterback. All those things make total sense for me in this draft for the Seahawks. So there's there's likely going to be a quarterback selected that a lot of us haven't even thought about, that a lot of us haven't even kind of factored in. But I do think that Geno Smith is going to be here next year, either on a franchise or transition tag or a long-term contract. He will go into Camp Jackson as the starting quarterback of this football team, and it will take a lot to unseat him, right? It will take yep. a Russell Wilson preseason game in Kansas City-type performance in 2012 to unseat Geno Smith. And if it does happen, then great. That's great. Great. If that yep. happens, then awesome. Then you have a backup quarterback who's a veteran, who's making money, a rookie who's making nothing, and you're starting the process right away. I just want to make sure if we do start a rookie quarterback that they are putting him in position to survive. I'm not saying you have to have what you did for Russell because that may have been the greatest supporting cast a rookie quarterback has ever had in the yes. history of the NFL. All right, he had the phenomenal defense. He had the highest paid line in football. He had Doug. He had Sidney. He had Zach Miller. He had Golden Handing Tate. the ball off to Marshawn he 25 Marshawn, times a game. He had Michael Robinson. He had that incredible defensive line. He had the LOB. I mean, it was ridiculous. Like, the guy literally had to do nothing except don't screw it up. And he, we know he did a lot more than nothing, obviously, mm-hmm. in 2012. Mm-hmm. But that situation was insane. And that's part of the reason why I think this thing worked and that they brought him in and they gave him all the help in the world. So are they ready yet to do that for a rookie? Probably not. That's exactly why you bring Geno Smith back and don't let Geno influence anything you do on draft day. Nothing. No, I I do think that you can address those two uh, options independently of each other. And there's no reason to think you can't make it work. And the thing that gets so lost in these conversations that we should have beaten into our heads by now is there's a lot of fucking injuries in the NFL every year Mm -hmm. and you're only allowed to carry 53 guys. You got to have some depth. And you know, the idea that, you know, let's, let's say you draft a quarterback and Gino is still the guy this year. Well, what happens if he goes down for a month? What, what happens if he misses six games? If you're trying to win a division, if you're trying to make a, a playoff spot, 
You need to have somebody you can turn it over to who can go three and three and keep your season afloat. And Which is I don't Gino think they got that guy right now ago, in Drew Locke. Right? Yeah, when when Russell got hurt, Gino came in there and did the best he could, obviously, and then kind of fell apart. And, you know, maybe, maybe Jackson, it is Drew Locke. Look, I mean, I don't know anything about Drew Locke. All I know is what I saw in Denver, and what I saw in Denver wasn't very good. I think there's a reason why the Hawks wanted this guy in the Bronco trade, maybe just to fill a spot, maybe because they needed a quarterback on the roster and they had to have a body. But they, they may say, you know what? We're going to bring Gino back, and we're going to re-sign Drew Locke. And Drew Locke is our young guy. Drew Locke is our insurance policy if Geno Smith goes down. Drew Locke is the guy that we want to build our roster around as far as the future at that position. I don't know if I'd go that road, but if they go that road, okay, fine. The philosophy makes sense. But, yeah, I, I think you'll see him trade down and uh, and go after a QB uh, either late in the first with that pick they get or uh, or on day two. And I'm fine with either one. Either one. Yeah, you know, and, and it's so exciting this year. I mean, this is the most exciting draft year that mm. I can remember for the Seahawks. They just, you know, uh, in, in Pete Carroll and John Schneider's first year, they had the number six pick and the number 14 pick, and they crushed those. They got Russell Okung and Earl Thomas. Right. But since then, you know, they've been picking in the 20s and usually trading out of that. And, but and the now cool thing is like, to be a playoff team and be able to do exactly. that because the last time they drafted this high, they took Aaron Curry at number four in 2009. They right. were 4-12 and 12 the year before. 2010, they took Okung and Earl, and they were 5-11 and 11 the year before. So I, I like this philo- this road much better, Jackson. I don't want to yeah. have to suck to get a top five pick. They should just do this every year. Yeah, why not? <laughs> I mean, it makes total sense. It's totally. easy to do. Go get clearly. David Tepper's first-round pick next right. year, and let's do this again. <laughs> to be 9-8 and eight and, be, and be a playoff team and be picking in the top five, is uh, is unbelievable, but I, I I actually get more jacked up for the number of picks and the quantity of picks that they've got and where they are versus just the number five. I mean, to have five picks in the top fifty-two or whatever it is now, yep. that gets me more fired up than just having number five. Totally. And so let's let's pivot to that because you're right. They do. They have five picks in the first three rounds. Four of them are in the top fifty-two. And so the question becomes, and and we can do this from twenty thousand feet and then get a little bit more granular. What positions do you think this team needs to target? And are there specific players either in free agency or the draft that you're like, man, if you told me today that Seattle is leaving this offseason with that guy, I'm going to be thrilled. Yeah, nothing specific yet. There's a couple of centers available. Uh, Bradbury would be a guy that I would look at, obviously. Uh, There's a couple of guys like that. Yeah, there's a couple of guys like that that are out there. In free agency that I would target, look, I'm still pissed off about the Creed Humphrey thing, guys. I really am from a couple years ago. I mean, they're, that makes they're so gonna much feel that for a long time. Oh, my God, dude. It just it, it literally sucks the soul out of me thinking about the fact that we took a toy over Creed Humphrey. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's unbelievable. Mm-hmm. D. Estridge, okay, how, how freaking special do you have? I'm getting pissed off now because you, totally. you, you've, you've touched on a sore subject. How, he has to be, how he has to be Percy Harvin. special do you have to be? To say no to a guy like Creed Humphrey, who by all metrics was a ready-made all-pro caliber center for the National Football League in a massive position of need that you had. So that that still pisses me off, the fact that he's playing in Kansas City. And look, maybe he wouldn't be the player here that he is there. We can certainly argue that. But we know the guy would have been better than anything we've had at that spot in the last couple of years. So my, my, my point is this. The fact that we're still sitting here two years later and talking about needing a goddamn center irritates the piss out of me. It, it just yep. drives me nuts. So you ask me positions of need, where do I start? Offensive and defensive line. End of story. That's it. Everything else comes into play after that. You need a right guard. You need a center. You need defensive tackles. You need a couple of defensive ends or an outside linebacker, depending on your scheme that you want to play next year. So to me, all of this is about what's happening on the line of scrimmage. They're not protecting the quarterback. They're not getting after the quarterback. They're not stopping the run consistently enough, and they're not running the ball consistently enough on this football team. This football team isn't going to do anything until they start to dominate up front like they did in 2013. People forget about that defensive line rotation. I know you don't, but most people do. They were eight deep. Dude, Michael Bennett and Cliff Averill weren't even starters on that football team in 2013. Uh, Red Bryant, Chris Clemens, guys like that. Um, It was unbelievable. Me, Bain, how crazy deep that defensive front was in 2013. So that's what I want. 
right? I mean, I'm, I'm watching all these teams just put all these resources. Look at Kansas City. Look at what yep. they've done with their offensive line. They lost that game to Tampa Bay, and they got rid of four freaking starters on their offensive line from a Super Bowl team. Four of them were gone. Only guy they kept was their right guard, who they kicked out to right tackle. They signed Patrick Mahomes to a gajillion-dollar deal, and then they gave him all the support he needed up front. It was freaking beautiful to see what Kansas City did. So to me, you asked me where I start both sides of the ball, offensive and defensive line, fix it. No, I'm totally with you. And Seattle's in a unique position where they've kind of got all their peripheral, high-profile positions locked up. I'm talking about the ones that really demand, you know, the the top of the market value. You've got two great wide receivers. You've got at least one great corner and another very promising one in Kobe Bryant, both on rookie contracts. Both of your tackles are on rookie contracts. You've got a potential superstar in your backfield and Ken Walker on a rookie contract. It seems like they're going to have their quarterback locked up. These are, they've got two high profile safeties. You know, the shell of the team away from the ball is really, really solid, but they've got a very soft, chewy center that they need to, you know, solidify. And, yeah, I, I wish that this was a little bit more robust of a free agent class. Seattle does have a little bit of money to spend. They're going to free up some more. Depending on what site you go to, they have somewhere between the sixth and eighth most effective cap space uh, going into this offseason. And so, yeah, you know, I would love to bring someone in like an Isaac Siamalu from Philadelphia. You know, it, watching watching the Eagles this year reminded me of the 2005 Seahawks, where mm-hmm. if it was third and short or fourth and short, they were just getting it. They're, they didn't have to get tricky. They didn't have to do anything. You knew what was coming and you weren't going to stop it because they just mauled you up front. You know, we we saw that obviously with Walter Jones and Steve Hutchison. The Eagles did that all season long. And yeah. so to bring someone like him in who I don't think is going to cost a ton, uh, that's exciting to me. Obviously, you need off-ball linebacker. That's not a high-paid position typically. It's always been a position that I think is more important to a Pete Carroll defense than it is to the average NFL defense. So I wouldn't mind seeing them address that. But, you know, you also, I do think you're a bit fragile at safety. I do think you're a bit fragile at wide receiver. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, everyone wants that third wide receiver. Like, oh, I want to have three great receivers. Well, there's only one team that has that, and that's right. the Bengals. Right. You know, teams don't have three good receivers but a lot of them have three good receiving options you know you look at the two teams that were in the super bowl they had great tight ends um and i i I like the tight end group but those are guys you have to scheme open for the most part Mm -hmm. they're Mm -hmm. not guys that are just going to get open and when tyler lockett was out this past year the seahawks offense stunk they could not move the ball because there's no reason not to put two and a half guys on dk metcalf because marquise goodwin isn't going to beat uh coverage on his own and so you know there's some exciting Wide receivers, not so much in free agency. Uh, I think the guys like Jacoby Myers and Juju Smith-Schuster, just because there aren't any other high-profile wide receivers this year, I think those guys are going to cost too much and are going to need too many targets. I don't think there's that many targets available, but if you can get a Jordan Addison or a Jackson Smith and Jigbo or Zay Flowers in this yeah. draft, I do yeah. think you got to consider that at 20. Well, first of all, I you're speaking my language uh, on the offensive line, man, number one. And I totally agree with you. I think you're you're okay to good uh, at the toy spots, right? Which is wide receiver, running back, corner, safety, you know, skill, skill players like that. The safety spot to me is interesting. Um, Jamal Adams is going to come back, obviously, at some point. I don't know what your take is on this guy, but I I, I can't stand him, right? I mean, I'm, <laughs> I'm not a I'm not a big Jamal guy at all, um, and it's not because of a lot of reasons that people talk about. I just don't I don't see the effort out of him. I, I I think he's always around the football to clean something up when somebody else has already made a play. Um, his his lack of effort at the goal line sometimes, uh, his inability or unwillingness to make a play uh, on his own and knock the crap out of somebody downfield to me has been a problem since he showed up here. Maybe it's because he's hurt, right? And I'll give him that. He's had injuries all over the place since the guy showed up here. But if that's the reason why, that's also a problem, that he's yep. injury-prone since he showed up here. He has not been the player I thought he was going to be. And frankly, I don't know how the Hawks are going to use him next year. Yeah, Are, are they going to use him as a toy, as an as a edge rusher, and blitz him 100 times? Because the point that a lot of people have made about Jamal Adams, and they're, they're exactly right, when he had the nine-and-a-half sacks, whatever it was, two years ago, he blitzed 100 times, guys, okay? 100. If you sent any safety 
to the backfield a hundred damn times over the course of a year, that guy's going to get sacks. Eventually, he's going to get sacks, but you're also getting burned on the back end for the times that he can't get home and he can't wrap up and make a play. So, And I thought the Jamal Adams trade, when they made it, on, on the day they made it, I'll, I'll be honest with you, I thought it was a great deal. I, 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 was, I was into it. I was fired up for Jamal Adams, and I would have much rather now had those two first-round draft picks. You know, when, when, they, when they fall in love with a player like that, the Seahawks, it's almost like it's unfair to do it like this because it's just the way it's happened and it doesn't really prove anything one way or the other about their philosophy. But they trade for Percy Harvin, falls apart. Trade for Jimmy Graham, falls apart. Trade for Jamal Adams, so far it's fallen apart. And all three of those guys got massive contracts and it hasn't worked. So when they're at their best, they're at their best getting guys with chips on their shoulder late in the draft and building from the draft, building with guys that were backups that became starters like Michael Bennett and Cliff Averill did. So look, you know, guys, it's 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 to me, it's one of those years where I think it's pretty freaking obvious where their needs are and their needs are on the offensive and defensive line. And I think going out there and taking those first five picks you talked about, Jackson, if they spent all five of them on defensive and offensive linemen, I would not be mad about that yep. at all. Same. At same. All. I'm, I'm, I'm in the same boat as you on that. Uh, you know, it's it's interesting what you're saying about Jamal Adams. Uh, I, I like Jamal Adams, but there's no question that he's been square peg in a round hole here. And it's frustrating because that was the same thing with Jimmy Graham. And, right. you know, this is something Mike's heard me say a couple times on the show before. If you're going to make the move for Jimmy Graham, awesome. Play him like Jimmy Graham. I mean, this is a guy who literally the year before sued the NFL to be listed as a wide receiver. They brought him in, put his hand in the dirt, right? Jimmy Graham never had his hand in the dirt. He was a wide receiver built like a tight end, and he put up Hall of Fame numbers doing that. And then they brought him in, and they tried to make him a Pete Carroll tight end. Mm. You know, uh, same thing with, with Jamal Adams. Like, you've got... You got a heat-seeking missile who's made out of concrete. Play him a linebacker. Play him a linebacker. Just be totally. Play him a linebacker. I'm totally Move fine. Him to outside take, linebacker. Take the Buda Baker, Shaq Thompson yes. approach with him. That would be great. So I'll, I'll be curious with the new with the new kind of uh, defensive setup, and now with Sean Desai leaving, be interesting to see if there's a lot of continuity between last year's scheme and this year's scheme. Even though they kind of bounced around uh, between three four and four three last year, I'm I'm really curious, but. You know, if they can unlock Jamal Adams, obviously it has the potential to transform this defense. Right. But what I will say, the single most underrated name in this Seahawks offseason for me is Ryan Neal. Because if you bring Ryan Neal back, the defense pre-Ryan Neal and post-Ryan Neal was like 12 points a game. It was Mm -hmm. insane. And obviously Mm -hmm. that's not all him, but it was a lot of him. And if you do have Ryan Neal there, it frees Jamal Adams up to be a little bit more of a kind of a, a, a linebacker like you were saying yeah. how many times uh, how many sacks does ryan neal have if he's being blitzed 100 times a year probably nine and a half okay so to me again i mean great fine uh the jimmy graham thing my god dude i mean more ptsd is just creeping <laughs> up with this thing i remember the last game he played as a seahawk i think it was against arizona if i'm not mistaken in the regular season and tom cables using him as a blocking tight end with his hand on the ground in the three-point stance and i'm asking myself have you guys not watched him play at all like the last three years in seattle never mind the saints tape okay whatever fine maybe you thought they were doing something wrong in new orleans okay great but then he comes here and he's playing for you and yep. you're still three years into his career asking him to do something like that. It's it's like the clowny thing, right? Against Green Bay in the playoffs. Yep. His last game was a Seahawk where Green Bay's got that, I think that third down play, and they're dropping him in pass coverage. Just really? drives That's why drives he brought Clowney here to drop back into pass coverage on the biggest third down of the year for crying out loud. So weird things like that kind of every now and then creep up and just don't make a lot of sense to me. But it, it's it's easier for those things to pop up when the team's not doing well, obviously, because they're more glaring. But yeah, I mean, the tight end position to me, um, I think they're all good players. There's obviously not a great player or even an elite player. Uh, nobody has Travis Kelsey, clearly, right? Um, we could have had him, but we drafted Kristen Michael instead of Travis Kelsey. Uh, one spot ahead well, of Travis Kelsey. That decision. So that, yeah, I mean, that, that made a hell of a lot of sense when you had Marshawn Lynch and you wanted a backup running back. Okay, fine. I get the philosophy. The logic makes sense, but one spot ahead of Travis Kelsey, and then you right. got obviously D. Eskridge, one spot ahead of Creed Humphrey. Um, 
So yeah, things like that keep me up at night and they shouldn't because there's a lot of opposites where they've gotten Tariq Woolen, Richard Sherman, obviously, Cam Chancellor, uh, Doug Baldwin is a free agent, Jermaine Curse. They've more than made up for things like that. But man, when they miss in the draft and there's a guy there, they really miss. I mean, they miss freaking wide right by 500 yards when they miss like that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's the thing. I mean, Seattle has shown with Pete and John here that they're not afraid to take big swings. You know, they're they're willing to strike out in exchange for hitting the home run. And yeah, when it when they're the they, Jay Buhner of the NFL. Absolutely. And when they connect, it's awesome. But sometimes you just need a base hit through the right side. Well, they just, I mean, they just, they just overthink it sometimes. And I, I I get that. I think every team does that though. Well, sure. And there's this, you know, they think they're smarter than everybody else. Well, they probably are, to be honest with you. They're smarter than me, right? There's no question. There's a reason why I'm sitting here talking to you while you're smoking a cigar and Pete Carroll and John Schneider at the combine in Indianapolis scouting these guys, right? If I knew what the hell I was talking about, I'd be there with them right now. Whoa, whoa. Are you saying this show is lower profile than the NFL combine? Thousand percent yes i'm sorry to break the news but thousand percent and maybe maybe two thousand lower profile uh and after this appearance it's going to go down to the gutter even more so by the way after today but you know uh you've you've got to have that arrogance though right you have to have a little bit of that cockiness and it's it, it's confidence because the minute you start doubting yourself it's like in draft day you guys see the movie draft day yeah when he writes the little note right and he uh, w- w- the linebacker's name was what mac was that right no matter what i'm taking this guy and I think that sometimes they they kind of get a little bit that way where they get laser focused on a guy. Sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. And I think that they feel like on top of all of that, that they do a better job scouting players and a better job coaching players. And for the most part, I think they're pretty much, they have a right to feel that way. I mean, what they've yeah. done with Tariq Woolen is stupid, yeah. stupid. Guys, I don't, I, 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 Jackson, I don't know how much you've talked about Tariq Woolen, but I remember Millen comes on and says, this guy got benched in his conference championship game. Tariq Woolen himself, I swear to God, came on our show back in August and said, look, you guys got to give me a break. I've barely played corner. Okay? Yeah. This is Tariq freaking Woolen himself. I mean, the, the Richard Sherman the comparisons are just crazy. Telling us to back off and give him a break, and then he goes out and leads the league in picks. That's coaching, man. That's yeah. Pete Carroll. That's coaching. You got to give credit for guys like that because the turnaround of Tariq Woolen, I think even they're shocked. There is no way in hell when they drafted him, they thought he would do what he did in 2022. No chance. Nope. But what they did see is a ceiling, right? Right. They saw they saw a ceiling and were willing to take that shot. And and like you said, trust their process, trust their ability to coach them up. They're gonna have a lot of guys coming in this year that they're gonna have a chance to coach up. Well yep. what the Seahawks are now is a young team, an exciting young team. And that is really, really it it's a nice change of pace because you know, 2017 through 2021 you had an old team that was kind of clinging and they were making moves to try and maximize the last few years of some right. of their best players. Right. And and then they had to pay the piper for that. And now they, they've had a chance to totally reset. I mean, That's this funny. roster is completely yeah. reset and it's really, really exciting to see. So, uh, yeah, th- this draft is, is by far the most interesting in my lifetime. And obviously, like you, and like the people listening, we can't wait to see what they do with yeah. it. Well, like you said, though, you're 12 years old, so that's not saying much. Right. This is the most exciting draft of your lifetime. I remember being a freaking newspaper delivery boy for the Seattle Times when the Seahawks got Brian Bosworth in the supplemental draft in the <laughs> 80s, because that's back in the day when you actually found out news via the newspaper. And they used to drop off papers in my parents' driveway. They'd drop about 50 newspapers, and boom, right there on the front page, Seahawks get Bosworth. What the fuck? Oh, my God. I'm like 14 years old. I'm going bananas we get brian bosworth the whole place is going crazy so the point is somewhere out there there's a 14 year old little softy running around who is going to watch this draft and see oh a man stud prayers taken. up for his parents yeah exactly maybe at number five and they're going to remember this they're going to fall in love with that and you know just kind of their 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 fandom will be partly shaped by what they do in this in this year's draft so i'm fired up for it man just like yeah. you can't wait yeah, we are too. Well, listen, man, it has been great chopping all this up with you. I know you've got your own show to do, so we'll let you get to it. Thank you for making the time to join us. Yeah, you bet, man. Anytime. Appreciate it. Yeah, and before you get out of here, why don't you let the folks listening know where they can get more of you? 
Uh, you get more of me at 93.3 KJRFM. Why you'd want more of me after this, I have no idea. But if you enjoy pain and you want more of this uh, nonsense, uh, every day, 3 o'clock, uh, follow on Twitter at SoftyKJR as well. I would tell you Facebook and Instagram, but I can't figure that out. So I, I just do Twitter. <laughs> uh, Twitter to me is dummy proof. It's like a slot machine of information going by my face. So uh, we we uh, we mostly just stay with Twitter at SoftyKJR. But every day, uh, 93.3 KJRFM uh, on the FM dial. Uh, also stream. Streaming, by the way, on the iHeart app. Uh, lots of stuff happening over the offseason. Mike Florio's with us every Wednesday, like he is today, uh, talking football. Uh, he, he'll be driving home, I think, from the Combine. Why he's going home makes no sense. The Combine's just starting, but whatever. He'll join us today. Uh, cool. We have a lot of cool draft coverage. Uh, Trad, uh, Chad Reuter will join us as well at 5 o'clock today and talk some NFL drafts. So uh, we finally have a reason, guys, every single day to talk draft, and we're going to do it until this thing is over. We're going we're gonna to milk that thing for as much as we can get out of it between now and April. I love it. You and me both, man. All right, folks, there it is. As for us, you can find Mike and I is on social media. Is this it? Not quite, buddy. Oh, I got an outro God, to do. God's sakes. <laughs> Get him out of here, Mike. See you. On Get it. him out of here. On it. <laughs> <laughs> listen, listen, listen. Mute softy so you can hear me tell you that Mike and I are on social media as well. I am on Twitter at, at Jackson Bevins. That's J-A-C-S-O-N. Remember that no K is okay when spelling my name. Mike is on Twitter at, at Mike Barwin. And the show itself is at Cigar Thoughts. You can also find us on Instagram at Cigar Thoughts NFL and on Facebook at Seahawks Cigar Thoughts. Of course, you can listen to this show and read every article at fieldgoals.com slash Cigar Thoughts. And if you're listening on Spotify or Apple Podcasts and you like the show, drop us a five-star rating and leave us a quick review. We've already got 200 five-star ratings between the two platforms. That is not something that Mike and I take for granted. So thank you to all of y'all listening for your continued support of the show. We know you've got only so much time for audiobooks, music, and podcasts. It's an honor to be a part of that for y'all. Please know that by sharing the show on social media and with your friends, you give us the juice to keep making this happen. We'll be back soon, but in the meantime, onwards and upwards, my friends. Mm-hmm.